Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. All right. Hi, everyone. So, for those who don't know me, my name is Stephen. I am one of the interns here at City Collective, and I have the privilege of sharing with you today. Um, we're going to continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, and um, today our focus is Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Um, and it's titled, True and False Prophet. Uh, it's going to be an interesting text, so buckle up. <laughs> um, but before we get into the passage and the ins and outs of it, we're going to quickly do a, a quick survey of where we've been so far in the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount starts in chapter 5, and everything in chapter 5 and chapter 6 is all about Jesus laying out the framework for the kingdom of God. And he also highlights what discipleship looks like. Now, for myself in chapter 5, um, you know, Jesus is sharing the the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are quite confronting and they demand that we uh, change our life and change the way we perceive life. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was that uh, Jesus changes the way we uh, define power. You know, for us, or well, typically in society, power is domineering over others. That's what true strength is. But for Jesus, it's having the capacity to bring someone else into alignment with God's will. Another thing that he talks about in the Beatitudes that stood out was that um, we have to hunger and thirst for Christ. We have to grow in dependence of who God is. And this is quite countercultural. Um, our society is always telling us, you know, you have to be independent, you have to stand on your own two feet and that sort of thing. And Jesus is like, no, no, you need to depend on me. You need to grow independent of me. I will be sufficient for you. And then Jesus continues in the second half of chapter 5. Uh, Jesus communicates the true nature of the law. He does it by this phrase, You have heard it said, but I say to you. This for me was a really hard pill to swallow. <laughs> Not only do my actions have to be above board, which is hard enough on its own. I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with that. But... Um, it's that my heart has to naturally produce the actions of a lawful life. It is not enough for me to simply act the right way. Rather, my heart needs to be shaped in a way that produces lawful behavior and a lawful life. And this is only possible through grace. Don't get it twisted. Oh, I've tried. I can't do it on my own. I don't know if you guys can. If you can, let me know how you're doing it. <laughs> but yeah, it's... As far as I know, and as history and human behavior has shown us, it is only by God's grace. In chapter 6, Jesus calls us to maintain traditional religious practices, uh, such as almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. But without the attached hypocrisy, without the ego, it's not about bragging rights, it's not about, oh, you know, I pray X number of times a day, I fast X number of times a month or day, whatever it is. But honestly, it's not about that. It's a practice to help us draw nearer to God, to commune with God. 
I loved uh, Jesus' teachings on prayer. Uh, he lays out the perfect framework and how we should approach the Father. He says, we first need to lift his name on high, then seek his will, and from that heart posture, we get to asking for provision, forgiveness, and deliverance. And then the rest of chapter 6 follows this pattern of seek first the kingdom, and then everything else will follow. All right, so now we're at chapter 7. We're halfway through uh, chapter 7 in verses 15 to 20. And so far, everything in the Sermon on the Mount has been about Jesus laying out the framework for the kingdom of heaven and what discipleship looks like. And so now Jesus is setting up a series of dualistic sketches that shows the consequences of not failing of failing to respond to his words. Um, and I'm going to read the passage now. And I would encourage you guys to try and comprehend what Jesus is saying through the lens of his sermon so far. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a, bad, sorry, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. All right, so this is a bit of a heavy text. Um, Jesus is quite blunt and straightforward, and so if you're new or visiting, welcome. <laughs> You have chosen a fun day to come to church. <laughs> um, for the rest of our time together, I'm going to sort of break down the text. And I'm going to try and understand what Jesus is communicating. And then we're going to focus in on verses 19 to 20, the one that usually confronts us the most. And then we're going to talk about what this actually means for us here today. So right off the bat, I want to clarify <laughs> Uh, Jesus is not saying you're going to hell if you have not lived a perfect life. Um, so maybe you had a bit of an incident on the way into church. Someone cut you off, said some colorful language, gave them birdie. It's okay. You're not going to hell. Don't sweat it. <laughs> However, Jesus is referring to an element of judgment. There are generally two types of judgment. Um, there's the idea of eternal judgment, which our passage is not referring to. And there's also the idea of our actions, which Jesus is referring to, the judgment of our actions. All right, so in verse 15, Jesus references false prophets coming into us as wolves in sheep's clothing. What does Jesus mean by a prophet? And this is something that's really prevalent in the Old Testament. Um, and it's not something we really hear about today in like 21st century. But a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God um, to his people. Uh, it's like a line of communication between God and his people. So right out of the gate, Jesus is saying, uh, he's, sorry, Jesus is claiming to, we need to discern like what is a good prophet and what is a bad prophet. What is a true prophet? What is a false prophet? Right? We need to discern those who are leading people according to a false word from God. Jesus is telling us, do not fall trapped to these people. 
they're not representative of who God is. And we need to discern them. So, how do we discern? Jesus says, by their fruits. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever eaten things that are a bit past the expiry date? I don't know. I have. I, uh, sometimes I'll go to the fridge, I'll grab a container or a Tupperware, crack the lid open, give it a sniff. I'm like, oh yeah, she'll be right. Um, I put it in the microwave, heat it up, eat it, and then a few moments later, it's not all right. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that. It's sort of what Jesus is saying. Uh, rubbish in, rubbish out. <laughs> Jesus is saying the condition of a person's heart is poor. And so what does that mean? It means that they don't have genuine relationship with God or they have not wholeheartedly responded to his call of discipleship. So if a person's heart is poor, then their actions will reflect that. Okay? Our actions are a natural outflow and indicator of our heart. What is inside of us naturally translates to our outward interaction with the world. Have you ever met someone who's extremely uh, generous, kind, loving, compassionate, quick to listen, slow to speak? I know, you guys are thinking of me. Um, that's a joke, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> that's a strong reflection of the inner spiritual health and relationship with God. Have you ever met someone who's quick to talk, angry, frustrated, short-tempered, lacks patience, is too busy to help? Some of you guys are thinking of me. Um, that's also a strong indicator of the inner spiritual health of a relationship with God. Now, as I gave those two examples, other than myself, I know someone else has come to mind. A person who is kind, who is loving, who is quick to help, and who is full of love and compassion. And I know another person has come to mind who is angry, frustrated, short-tempered, and impatient. But this is what Jesus is talking about. The condition of our heart and the health of our relationship with God is expressed in our actions and how we interact with the world around us. And so Jesus is saying, don't be foolish. Look at the way that a person engages with the world. Look at the way what their life is yielding, the fruits that they are bearing, and discern whether this person is trustworthy to receive from or not. Now, this is especially good wisdom for today's day and age. Um, we live in the information age, like there's hundreds of podcasts we can listen to, hundreds of books we can read, courses, just information overload. And so what is Jesus saying? He's like, especially in the matters of the heart and of our faith, discern um, the source. Discern if this person is worth receiving from. Okay, so now I want to vo- focus in on verses 19 to 20. And this is the last bit of the text, and it says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What does Jesus mean here? These are some pretty heavy words. Often, we, we hear judgment and we hear fire, we're like, oh, hell. Um, especially Dante's Inferno and that sort of imagery. But like we said before, this is not what Jesus is referring to. So to really understand this, we're going to have to take a bit of a step back and look at some of the imagery that's used. This imagery begins in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 in the Garden of Eden. 
uh, where the tree of life, and we've got the tree of life, sorry, and the tree of knowledge. One bears good fruit, one bears bad fruit. The imagery is continually used throughout Scripture uh, and is now just a part of Jesus' psyche. It's just part of the way he perceives the world, the way he understands reality. And this is evident in the Gospels. So, in Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus address the Pharisees using this imagery. If a tree is good, it will produce good fruit. And a tree, if a tree is bad, it will produce bad fruit. He then proceeds to call them a brood of vipers. It's a little savage, Jesus, but anyway. He proceeds to call them a brood of vipers and warns them that they will be judged or acquitted according to what they do and say. Hmm, interesting. Again, in chapter 21, Jesus was hungry and saw a fig tree by the side of the road. And he went up to it and he noticed it wasn't bearing any fruit. He then said, may you never bear fruit again. Then the tree immediately withered. I am starting to sense a pattern. (laughs) But the first time we see this imagery is in the Gospel of Matthew. uh, is in chapter 3 where John the Baptist is addressing the Pharisees as he is baptizing people in the Jordan River. He says, Unless you bear the fruit of repentance, you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus in chapter 7 is echoing the words of John the Baptist. In all these verses, uh, there is an emphasis on the fruit that a person bears, and it's the fruit that is judged determining the quality of, of the branch. So to translate the metaphor, a person's actions, words, thoughts, and priorities will be judged as a reflection of that person. A person's works will be judged. And judged by people in who they interact with, but also judged by God. And this is something we and the modern church really struggle to address and like we just we shy away from it. The fact that our actions will be judged. But why are we scared? Are we scared of the consequences? We shouldn't be. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Our salvation has nothing to do with our works, rather everything to do with what Jesus has done and his sacrifice. I think the idea of judgment and the judgment of our actions is scary because now that we've placed a level of significance on the way we live our lives, our actions do matter. They will be judged, not for the sake of determining salvation, rather to assess the type of disciple we are. We can either... Right? We can either be people that are shaped and formed to be kind, generous, you know, what we were mentioning before. Or we can be disciples who are formed to be, sorry, not even disciples. We are people who are formed to be cruel, impatient, short-tempered, and so on. Our actions are judged to determine the type of disciple we are. So I don't know about you guys, but as I, I was, uh, sorry, as I was growing up, um, I developed this idea in my head that all I needed to do was live my life, um, be in relationship with God, and one day I'm going to kick the bucket and I get to enjoy eternity in heaven. Uh, it sounds like a great gig, um, 
And then I want, once I realize that God cares about how I live my life, not only that I live it morally and ethically, um, but he cares about what I do with my time, what I do with my efforts, how I expend my energy, people I'm in a relationship with. He cares about all these things. And it's a bit of a daunting realization that he cares about every aspect of my life. What does this mean for us? It means we are no longer able to live our lives how we see fit. Rather, there needs to be a genuine response to the proclamation of the good news. This is what John the Baptist is saying to the Pharisees. You have heard the good news, but you are not living in the, sorry, you're not living your life from a place of repentance. We are called to live our lives from a place of repentance, where repentance is the renouncing of our former lives, turning it around and living our lives in alignment with God's kingdom and Jesus' call to discipleship. I'm going to say that again. Sorry, repentance is the renouncing of our former lives, turning it around and living our lives in alignment with God's kingdom and Jesus' call to discipleship. So you're like, okay, Stephen, this sounds great. This sounds all very theological and lofty. Um, What does this mean for me? What does this mean in the here and now and the practicalities of life? This means that I need to live my life with a purpose. I need to be intentional about the way I live my life. My purpose is now to bring God's kingdom here on earth, to host, to help facilitate the host of the presence of God, to impact people's lives, and to live out my calling and vocation, all while serving and loving God and our neighbor. A few months ago, uh, the movie Oppenheimer was released. I don't know if any of you guys saw it. I watched it and I loved it. It was great. Um, Highly, highly recommend. Um, It's directed by Christopher Nolan, so you can't go wrong. He's a a really good director. The cinematics of it is great. Uh, The soundtrack is unreal. Um, (laughs) It's really good. Definitely my top three. Anyway, I absolutely loved it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, I could watch that movie five times over. It was so good. Anyway, anyway, the movie is essentially about the crater, pun intended, that J. Robert Oppenheimer left on the world as he led a team of scientists that developed the atomic bomb. Oppenheimer recognized the significance of the work he was doing and pursued it wholeheartedly. Um, now, regardless of what you think of it, in, like morally or ethically, right, the atomic bomb, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of things associated with that. But regardless of what you think of it morally or ethically, it was significant. It shaped the world, and it's, everything has changed since then. We need to pursue our lives in the same manner. We need to recognize the significance of what our lives like what we're meant to do here on earth and the mark we're going to leave. And now, I'm not saying you need to lead a science project. Um, If you do want to, let me know. I'll be quite interested. Um, I am a bit of a nerd like that. But um, I'm not saying you need to lead a science project. What I am saying, though, is that even if we're only called to shape one or two people throughout our whole lives, that is truly significant, and we need to recognize the significance of that. What we do matters. Don't undermine your life, either because of false humility, 
because you think little of yourself or because someone told you what you do is insignificant or that your life is insignificant, whatever it may be, you need to recognize God doesn't see your life as insignificant and you need to learn to see yourself the way God sees you. You are a person who has a calling, a gifting, and a sphere of influence to be engaged with. The reason what we do matters is because it leaves an impact and shapes people's lives, one way or another. And this will be judged. A life with genuine response to Jesus' call is authenticated as being real for the fruits one bears. If the Spirit is working in you, the fruit you produce will be reflective of that. And naturally, your life will align with God's will. Now, as I close, I want to clarify. Uh, You may be reflecting on your own life thinking, I mainly produce bad fruit. This is a bit of a problem. And I want to say it's okay. Uh, I'm in the same boat. (laughs) Ask my close friends. Ask mom and dad. Actually, don't. They've got a lot of stories. Um, I produce bad fruit as well. I produce plenty of bad fruit. But God is good and he is merciful. If we desire to live a life that bears good fruit for the sake of his kingdom, the invitation is always there to let the spirit come into us, work in us, shape our hearts and minds, and he will shift us into his will. In the words of Eugene Peterson, the production of good fruit takes a lifetime of obedience in the same direction. This is a journey. This doesn't happen overnight. What we do really does matter. The fruit we bear really does matter, and it will be judged. If we claim to be followers of Christ, we are expected to genuinely respond to Jesus' call to discipleship and pursue a life of formation which yields good fruit and leads us to contributing to God's kingdom here on earth. I guess we need to ask ourselves, what fruits do we bear? And is this the fruit we want to bear as Jesus' disciples? And so we're going to have a moment where you can reflect on that. But I just want to, again, clarify. This is not for the sake of, uh, how do you say, feeling judged, bringing shame or condemnation. It's not for the sake of guilt. But for you to self-reflect, for you to assess, where am I at with my relationship with God? And how am I impacting the world? I'm going to quickly close in a word of prayer, and, uh, and then Jason's going to join us on stage. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good and you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done. We thank you, your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice he made. We thank you that he's made a way for us to have a relationship with you. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'll continue to shape us, shape our hearts, shape our minds. And we pray, Lord, that you'll um, help us to bear good fruit and help us to notice where we are bearing bad fruit. We surrender our hearts and our minds to you, God, and pray, Lord, that your will be done. In Jesus' my name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.